he says this, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is God's word to us. So none, none of who he was or what he did. The Colossians 1 tells us about who Jesus is and, and what he did, but none of who he is and what he did actually matters unless he died and rose from the dead. And that's what Easter is all about. Jesus got up from the dead. And so Paul calls him poetically the firstborn from the dead. Why did he do that? I mean, why did Jesus die and rise? Because he had to do this so he could have a people. And, and you notice when, when Paul called him the firstborn from the dead, he first said he's the head of the church. This is his new people. These are the people Paul once was persecuting, and now he's, he's, he's trying to teach them about Jesus. You know, some people think the church is a building or like a denomination, uh, but the church actually is a group of people who have repented of their sins and turned to Jesus Christ. And I, I just want to invite you, dear friend, you can be a part of that people. You, you are welcomed in because Jesus' life and death wasn't just for a certain uh, special kind of people that had a special kind of knowledge or did special kinds of things. He, he died for all kinds of people and he welcomes you in. You can be a part of that. Jesus rose from the dead. He's the head of the body, this new humanity that he's creating because he is the firstborn from the dead. So Jesus rose and many others will rise as well. So a question you might ask or asking now is how is the resurrection possible? What, and why does it matter? You, maybe you're thinking, I don't even know if the resurrection is possible. It doesn't seem scientifically plausible to me for someone to get up from the dead. So I, I just wanna, we're just gonna hone in on this, like, this passage here, this poem, and, and Paul is not setting out to prove it, but uh, the rest of the scripture does prove that it is possible, and he, we're gonna show how that is the case. So we're gonna show it by um, how, how is the resurrection possible and why does it matter in three points. So who Jesus is, what he's done, and why it matters. Who Jesus is, what he's done, and why it matters. So how is the resurrection possible and why does it matter to me? The resurrection matters and is possible because of who Jesus is. Did you notice in uh, chapter one, verse 15, that it says, Paul says who he is. He is the image of the invisible God. You know, some people make images of their gods to worship them in order to worship them. 
either the Colossians, before they became Christians, they would have known what their gods looked like because they fashioned images. But that's not so of the Christian God. He's invisible. At one point, John said, no one had ever seen God at any time. So I just want to ask you, because we're all worshiping some God. There's, no, there, there's not one of us who aren't worshiping someone or something. Worship is like what you give your devotion to, your time to, your thoughts to, your money to, your, your, your love to, your emotions to. So all of us are, are engaged in this process of worship. And I just want to ask you, what God are you worshiping? If the God you worship looks like you and thinks like you, and never contradicts you, you are worshiping a God that you've sort of like metaphorically fashioned in your own image. But God is not like that. He can't be contained or fashioned by human hands. So you can either make an image of God and bow down to him, or you can make God in your own image. But the God of the Bible is invisible. In John chapter one, verses one through four and then 18 tells us about this God. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was, the word is the he. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And then he goes on to say, the light shines in darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. Let's skip down to verse 18. John says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the father's side. He has made him known. Friends, John is talking about a man named Jesus. Eternal God, uh, the, the eternal son of God. At one time, you maybe have heard the story at Christmas time, he came down and took on human flesh and was born of a virgin and, and lived a life of 30 or 33 years. He, he became a real man and, and forever now he is a man. He has human flesh. That God who was invisible, God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit wanted himself to be known. So he communicated, just like, kind of like I'm communicating now, but he communicated in the flesh. The message that God had for his people came in Jesus Christ, took on flesh, bore the sins of mankind, and then rose from the grave. And Colossians 1.19 says, he is all the fullness of the Godhead, pleased to dwell in him. Whatever your conceptions about God, I, you, you ever seen that like, mind is blown emoji. Your mind should be blessed like boom, like what is this? God becomes flesh, the eternal God. So in verse 15 though, he also says that he is the firstborn of all creation. So I just need to address that because when we hear firstborn, it's like my firstborn son is Orion and then I have other children. So he was the, you know, it, it brings up images of, of, of birth and first breaths and, and all of those kinds of things. But that's not what Paul means when he says Jesus is the firstborn. Jesus, as the eternal son of God, or Christ, as the eternal son of God, did become man 
But here what he means is that he's the firstborn of all creation, that he's the one that actually made creation happen. He's the most important uh, beginning of creation, but he was not created himself. In the ancient Near East, it, it, this word firstborn actually had to do with privilege and rank, and it, it meant the, the firstborn son who got the inheritance and, and took over the family business. That's what Paul means. He's, he's, he's the son of the father. He's just like the father. And so as creator, Jesus was before everything, not created before everything, but eternally existent before everything. So who created God, right? Have you ever heard that question or maybe asked that question? Who created God? Well, according to Paul's poem, uh, that question is based on a false premise that God is a creation. God was eternal before everything. So we're just saying the resurrection matters and it is possible because of who Jesus is. He's the image of God. He's the image of the invisible God. He's made note. Secondly, in verse 16 and 17, he's the eternal creator. He's the eternal creator and sustainer of all things. Verses 16 and 17, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Like, like any, any, any kind of spiritual authority or any kind of throne, any kind of president or king, uh, they're, they're all created by God through him and for him. And he is before all things. He wasn't created before all things. He was before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Friends, he's the reason you literally do not come apart at the seams right now. Just you think, I can't remember which movie it is, but Thanos like snaps his fingers and like everyone, well, half of the population, like what is what they turn into ash or something. I don't even know. Like they, they just dissipate. That, that's what would happen if God did not hold us together. That's what the Bible says. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Now friends, that's very good news. God is no Thanos snapping his fingers and and wiping out half of the population. It's good news because it means when you are tired of being in control of your life, you can come to the end of yourself and you can say, actually, God's been in control the whole time. Jesus is the eternal creator and sustainer of all things. He's been sustaining you to this very moment. The breath in your lungs, the blood beating from your heart through your veins, the the very food you eat, the house you live in, it's all good gifts from this God. And this is good news. If you're like me, you're tired of really being good at screwing up your life. And it's good news that I'm not in control. Good news that you and I are neither creator nor sustainer. The resurrection matters and is possible because Jesus is the image of God, the eternally sovereign creator. And thirdly, now this is a funnel, okay? The first point is like, is he ever going to get through this sermon? But it's a funnel, all right? So like the first point is the biggest and it's going to go the second and then the third, okay? So thirdly, verses 18 and 19, he's the firstborn from the dead resurrected head of the body, the church. 
He is, he is not only the image of God, the eternal creator, he's the firstborn from the dead. It's just a poetic way for Paul to say he's resurrected, he's alive, he's risen, he's risen indeed. And this firstborn language goes all the way back to the book of Exodus. And if you haven't been in the book of Exodus before, Exodus was God's people were enslaved and now uh, God sent a, a, a man, Moses, to deliver them from their slavery. And uh, the, the antagonist is, is Pharaoh, and he, he, do, he won't let them go. I will not let them go. Who is the Lord? And, and Yahweh says, you will let them go. You will let, you let my firstborn go. Israel is seen as God's firstborn in, in the Old Testament. And, but, but Israel, as they get rescued uh, from Egypt, and they go through the Red Sea, they wander in the wilderness, and they fail. The nation is set up and they fail. Israel is a failed firstborn son. They're only pointing to a greater firstborn son. And at the end of all time in Revelation 1, Revelation is a, is a, is a book about the end of all things. In Revelation 1, 4 and 5, John says this, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. This is Jesus, who, who Israel pictured as the firstborn of God. Now, at the end of all things, because he died and rose from the dead, he is the true firstborn of God who is making all things new. Who is recreating a new humanity. So here's what I'll, all of this to say, if Jesus is the image of God, the invisible God, if he is the eternal creator and, and sovereign sustainer over all things, doesn't it make sense that he could raise from the dead? Doesn't it make sense that he could also be the head of the new family, the firstborn from the dead? So if it's true, that he's those things, it, it can also be true that he got up from the dead. Do you see? So Paul's poem is not only evidence, is not the only evidence we have for the resurrection. I just want to invite you, if you're still skeptical about this, to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or one of them. And, 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 and they will help you understand these are eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. People actually saw them. And if you want someone to read that with you, I'd be happy to, to sit down and, and once a week or once a month read through that with you. And there are other people in this church that would do that with you. But these are eyewitness accounts of Jesus' resurrection, especially Matthew 28, 1 through 10, and Mark 16, and Luke 24, and John 20, which Logan read for us earlier. And these aren't the only passages in the scripture. Jesus appeared to over 500 men and women after his resurrection. That's what these accounts tell us. The, the, the accounts could have been publicly verified. Any who wanted to hear uh, about the resurrection from an eyewitness account, they had names. They could have gone to these people and asked them. There's so much evidence for the resurrection. But Paul's poem is not trying to prove the resurrection. It's assuming the resurrection, and then it's worshiping the Jesus who is this beginning point of the new humanity. Friends, he, he's not the only one that will rise from the grave. 
He's the first and the supreme one of many. He's the first and the supreme one from, of, of many, who, many resurrections that will happen. So one of the beautiful things God is doing in salvation and what resurrection guarantees is that God is making all the sad things come untrue. Do you remember? Do you remember at the end of, towards the end of Lord of the Rings, is, it, is he making everything sad untrue? Samwise Gamgee says. That's what the resurrection is doing. He, he, is, he is guaranteeing, he is making this humanity, this new humanity by sacrifice and resurrection. How, how can the world go back to the way it was when so much bad has happened, we, we ask? Well, it can because Jesus put death to death in his death. Jesus put death to death in his death. He overcame evil in the cross, and now death is working backwards, Lewis tells us. So Jesus is just the first fruits of bringing many sons to glory, and you can be a part of that. You can be a part of this family. So the church is the beginning of the, the new creation. You, you saw people here singing to a God they don't see right now with, with something that happened 2,000 years ago, and it is affecting us very deeply, even in our emotions, because we have realized ourselves to be the worst sinners we know, and God's grace to be more abundant than we could have ever hoped for. So all of those friends, all of you who repent of your sins and trust in Jesus alone for salvation, you are put into this new humanity. The head of the body is not me or the Pope or anyone else. It is Jesus Christ, our Lord. The resurrection matters because humanity matters. And it is possible because of who Jesus is. The image of the invisible God, the creator of everything, and the firstborn from the dead. The resurrected one. And not only that, but the resurrection guarantees what he has done. Secondly, guarantees what he has done. What he has done in verse 20 is to make peace by his death, the blood of his cross, as he puts it. And that phrase, the blood of his cross, is just shorthand for talking about Jesus' work of salvation, his substitutionary sacrifice. He became a substitute, a stand-in for you and for me. He, we were the ones that were supposed to be there. It was our sin that nailed him there to the tree. You hear your mocking voice cry out among the scoffers. It was my sin that nailed him there. And he became a substitute for you, a stand-in for me, in order to recreate humanity and reconcile all things to himself, verse 20 tells us. The beloved son of verse 13 in chapter 1 had to take flesh and die for his people. Why? Because he's just. God is just. No one wants an unjust judge, do they? An unjust judge that lets innocent people, lets them to, the, to their death and guilty people go free. But because God is also a God of peace, 
he made peace by the death of his son so he could let guilty people like you and me go free. How's that not bad? Because Jesus was willing and he wanted to and he gave up his life as a ransom for us. And none of it would matter, friends, unless he rose again. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 19, he says this, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. We're, we're miserable people. Why would our faith be futile unless Jesus rose from the dead? Paul tells us in Romans 4, 25, Jesus was delivered up and he died for our trespasses and was raised again for our justification. The only way we could be made right with God if someone else takes our place and gives us righteousness. So he did all of that in order to present a, to God a new humanity. We had to be justified, counted righteous by God. And the resurrection, Jesus getting up from the dead is an essential part of that. It can't happen unless Jesus got up. So this church, this new humanity that is escaping judgment and getting salvation, uh, it, it is possible only because of Jesus' life and death. He, Paul says he's making everything as it should be again. When he says he's reconciling all things to himself, he's making everything as it should be. You can, re, you can receive the judgment you deserve or you can receive the mercy bought for you by Jesus' death and resurrection. And you can receive salvation because Jesus took the judgment on the cross. But if you refuse, you will receive the judgment instead. So I plead with you, friends. I plead with you, turn to Christ. Turn to him. He will not cast you out. He will not turn you away. He won't give you a cold shoulder. He won't say, come back when you get your life together. He won't say any of that. He will receive you with open arms like the prodigal son was received by his father. And he will say, welcome home. You don't have to receive the judgment you deserve. Because of who Jesus is and what he has done, you can have peace with God right now. You don't need anyone to pray with you. You can pray to him. He hears you. Jesus is making peace by the blood of his cross. So why does it matter? That's what he's done. He's made peace by the blood of his cross. Why does it matter? Because, friends, he turns enemies into sons and daughters. Verse 21 tells us that we at one time were at war with God, alienated against him. But he brings peace by the blood of his cross. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. He turns enemies into sons and daughters because he makes dead people alive again. Ephesians chapter two tells us that at one time, you Ephesian Christians and, and all of us were dead in our trespasses and sins, but he made us alive together. We call this the new birth. And that old saying that goes, you can be born once and die twice, or you can be born twice and die once. And Jesus 
made it possible for God to forgive us our sins and make us sons and daughters, make us alive. It also matters because he gives us hope. He gives the hopeless hope. In Ephesians 3, verse 3, Paul says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. Sorry, wrong, wrong one. Uh, he, he, he talks about these Christians among whom we all once lived in the pa- passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind and were by nature children of wrath. But now God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with God. And in Colossians 3, 3 says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Not only does he give hope to the hopeless, he gives, your li- he gives you life in God. And you will get the glory you've always longed for because you will be created, you will be doing the thing you were created for and that is giving glory back to God, the resurrected one. So why does it matter, friends? It, it matters because he turns enemies into sons and daughters because he makes dead people alive, because he gives hope to the hopeless, and because your life is hidden with God and you will appear with him in glory, Colossians 3, 4 tells us. And the last thing is, is because it will make sense of the evil and suffering in this world. Do you remember at the end of all things, Frodo and Sam, Frodo's finger is missing, the ring is in... Mount Doom and it is destroyed and they have saved the world. And Frodo and Sam are at the end of all things and they're there and, and uh, the eagles take them and they're exhausted and, and they've, they've finally done it and they basically feel like they're dead. And, and Sam is sleeping and he wakes up and full memory floods back to him and Sam cried out, it wasn't a dream then where are we? And a voice spoke softly behind him in the land of Athelion and in the keeping of the king and he awaits you. With that, Gandalf stood before him, robed in white, his beard now gleaming like pure snow in the twinkling of the leafy sunlight. Well, Master Samwise, how do you feel? He said. But Sam lay back and started stared with open mouth and for a moment between bewilderment and great joy he could not answer and at last gasped ah Gandalf I thought you were dead but then I thought I was dead myself is everything sad going to come untrue what's happened to the world a great shadow has departed said Gandalf and there he laughed And the sound was like music, like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. And it fell upon the ears like the echo of all joys that he had ever known. But he himself burst into tears. Then as a sweet rain will pass down a wind of spring and the sun will shine out the clearer, his tears ceased. And his laughter welled up and laughing, he sprang from his bed and he said, how do I feel? He cried. Well, I don't know how to say it. I feel, I feel 
He waved his arms in the air. I feel like spring after winter and the sun on the leaves and the trumpets and the harps and all the songs I have ever heard. Friends, when the resurrection happens in your, you have been made new by Jesus Christ. This is, this is why the resurrection matters. All the echoes of all the joys you've ever heard and known, ever you were created for, you have come to realize them in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection, it makes you understand that you haven't heard laughter in a long time. And God has come to make all things new and give you joy. He is making all things new and reconciling all things to himself. And he's done that through the resurrection. He's the firstborn from the dead. Turn to him and have joy. Let's pray. Father, Father,